From the campus of Stanford University and on location, this is the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast featuring in-depth one-on-one interviews with purpose-driven entrepreneurs and high-performance game changers committed to extraordinary ideas, preeminence, and multi-generational success. Our radio show and podcast illuminates the struggles, breakthroughs, and exceptional outcomes these game changers bring to industries, organizations, and lives. Hosted by Tom Dioro, principal of Podfather Media. Thank you, Tatum. For our guest today, I'd like to welcome Louis Leo. Louis is a founder and managing partner of L2 Council, located in the heart of Silicon Valley on California Avenue in Palo Alto, California. Louis uh, represents private companies, financial sponsors, uh, venture capitalists, investors, and investment banks in forming, financing, governing, buying, and selling companies. Louis' extensive experience assisting a wide variety of businesses at all stage of development, from two founders and a laptop through venture capital finance to IPO and beyond. Having advised non-U.S. multinationals looking to access U.S. capital markets for years, Louis is uniquely positioned to assist companies with cross-border transactions. For more information, feel free to visit the website at l2council.com. Again, that's l2council.com. Louis, thank you so much for uh, being on our show today. We're really honored, excited, and thank you for your patience with our technical uh, challenges at the beginning. Hey, Tom, it's a real honor to be with you. Uh, I am uh, really honored to, uh, to be a guest and to share with your audience whatever I can can share. And uh, obviously, I sit at the intersection of a lot of things that go on in Silicon Valley. And if there's something uh, that I do that can help your audience, uh, I'd, I'd love to connect with them. Awesome. Thank you very much, Louis. Louis, we like to, as I, we shared kind of in our, our um, digital green room, the uh, important, it, if you have a quote, axioms or practice for you as a person, share with us, please, you know, how do you navigate through the day personally and professionally, if you're, if you're at liberty to share? Sure. No, I, I appreciate the question. And it's funny, we've all been uh, working from home or working from anywhere for the last uh, eight months with some degree of angst. And as the days go by, it, it sometimes feels like Groundhog's Day again. And so uh, like everyone out there in your, in your listening uh, group, I am uh, challenged to keep my uh, physical and mental sanity. And so um, you know, when I start off the day, I try and do a, a short meditation and uh, if your listeners go to Google and look for, or pardon me, YouTube and go for the six phase meditation by Vishen Lakhiani, I think they would be, um, find something of real value. And what Vishen tries to do in this guided meditation of 15 minutes or less, and there are various versions of it that uh, you can find on YouTube with the, the, the length of time that you have, is it tries to help take you through six states of mind to set your day. And, and the first state of mind is, is putting yourself in a state of love, thinking about someone or something that you love and trying to expand that feeling to the world. And then the second thing is to express gratitude and, and think about things you're grateful for in your personal life and in your professional life and in your family and about yourself. And, and, and that sets the stage for the third phase, which is forgiveness. And it's a, it's a few minutes where you think about an, an interaction that you had with someone or somebody that makes you crazy and you try and forgive them. And you try and remember that hurt people hurt people and that people that hurt you or really hurt themselves and you forgive them. 
And next in stage four of the six phase meditation is trying to envisage where you'd like to be in three to five years. The idea being that most of the time, the, the great goals that you have can't really be accomplished in one year, but they really could be in three years. So sometimes you give up on things because you can't get them done right away. But if you keep working on them and you keep working on them over a long-term period, you can. The next phase is to imagine what your perfect day is going to look like. So I try and think, okay, here are the things I'm going to do, and here are the things that are going to make my day great. And then finally, you end with a blessing of, of some kind. So that's the six-phase meditation, uh, Tom, and, and uh, it helps me get through the day. I try and do exercise in the morning, too. I don't always succeed because I wake up to 100 emails, of, and my, uh, my drug is responding to each email and, and getting a little dose of dopamine for uh Having responded, I, I drink a lot of coffee and I'm trying to get off of that. And I'm, I'm trying to do um, really healthy superfood juices. So you put spinach in a blender, celery, avocado, any kind of fruits, uh, apples, and uh, have that be your, your source of nutrition so that you know, when you start your day, you've, you've, you've really given yourself a lot of uh, superfood nutrients to power you through. That's outstanding. You know, that was one of the uh, the draws to uh, reach out to you, Louis, was I noticed that you've worked obviously with, as you, we stated in the beginning, from two, two people on a laptop or a couple of laptops to multi-international corporations. There is a high level of care that I noticed that you have, and you expressed it at the very beginning for your clients, not just as, as business, as professionals and to navigate through um, the legal uh, facets of uh, our country and, and other countries and how we can, it can work together. Where did that that level of care kind of come from? Is it always been there? Have you always had it since you were young? What, uh, have you ever, if you care to even share with it, I think it's just fascinating. Well, I, I, thank you. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm flattered, but I don't think I'm any different than any other human being. And, and um, I found that happiness is a choice, Tom. And so every morning I decide that I'm going to be happy and I'm, I'm going to try and, and do things uh, that make me happy and that make other people happy. And so I decided that if I was going to be a lawyer, which I wanted to do since I was a little kid, I really wanted to help people. As uh, watching my, my parents and grandparents are all who, who were immigrants, tr- you know, navigate their lives as I was younger, I th- they, they always need a lawyer for something. And so I, I don't see, while I'm a corporate lawyer and I help companies get formed, financed, scaled for growth, bought and sold, I spend a lot of my time helping my clients get connected to a different lawyer because I don't do it and making sure that, that whatever that task is gets done, whether, whether somebody needs a visa. You know, I don't practice immigration law, but you know, I know people that do. And, and uh, that's a really important thing that, that they're safe in, in our country. So it gives me a lot of pleasure to to help other people, and it makes me feel like I, I have a reason to be here. And, and um, I, that's really kind of my approach to my law practice is, is if you hire me, you get me, and I'm a human, and I have uh, skills and, and flaws, all of which are harder for me to hide. But uh, hopefully, I, have a, I bring a network of other really helpful people that are like me that can solve problems. How did you choose the corporate, corporate law or businesses, business law? versus some of the others? Yeah, that's, there- that's a great, uh, great question. When, when I was a little kid, um, you know, I, I grew up in the 70s and uh, there was the Iran hostage crisis. And I, I, that just marked my memory as a child. Every night, the evening news would start and they would say it's now, you know, 333 days of, that our hostages have been kept in captivity and 334 days. And I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but 
Yes, there was a there was a Delta mission that that the president of the United States sent to save the hostages, and it crashed in the desert, and it was a you know kind of a, a debacle, and it was just a really scary, sad time. And I thought to myself then that you know I, I really wanted to be a diplomat or a, a negotiator, a, a lawyer, and uh, my interest in law you know ha- was ingrained at that point and passionate thereafter. I went to college at at Georgetown University and went to the School of Foreign Service. And I was hoping to enter the School of Foreign Service. And at that time, there just weren't a lot of openings. And the openings they had weren't very enticing. So instead of uh, entering the Foreign Service of our government, I entered the Foreign Service of American Business. And I I joined a a Wall Street law firm and was quickly sent off to to Europe to uh, to help do business in the US for multinational companies and to help U.S. companies do business in Europe and European businesses do business in the United States. And, and I had a fabulous time. But to do that work, it, it was corporate work. And, and that was what was available. And so it was just a great intersection of my interests, you know, to negotiate, to negotiate deals and, and to uh, do it in a cross-border setting. I found that corporate uh, and transactional work was the ticket to get me where I wanted to be. Excellent. You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Louis Leo, founder and managing partner of L2 Council in Palo Alto, California. For more information, feel free to visit l2council.com. Again, l2council.com. Louis, what... Uh, this might be a real general question and correct me if I'm wrong. What has changed, say, in the last several years in your practice that uh, that you can kind of tangibly tell your audience today that like, wow, you know, two or three years ago, this didn't even exist. And now it's, it's, it's uh, kind of prominent, whether it's certain cases, certain business uh, problems. Appreciate it, Tom. I have noticed, you know, since I, I entered the law practice tw- more than 20 years ago, that the pace of technological change just keeps getting faster and faster. The VIX index of, of evolution has changed. And I think we've entered something called the fourth industrial revolution, Tom. And I didn't make that up. That's uh, Klaus uh, Schwab, who, who is the founder and the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, who kind of coined the term. And the idea here is that is that there's an intersection of radically innovative new telecommunications capability. And today it's called 5G and tomorrow it'll be something else. Mm -hmm. And that's happening at the same time that software and artificial intelligence and machine learning is accelerating at the same time as networking is moving away from these giant public clouds um, right to the edge of your screen with edge computing. And we're having, you know, gene editing, the founders of CRISPR, who, who uh, I admire so much, have done things to, to make the delivery of medicine personal. And I think the great next revolution is going to be regenerative health. But this fourth industrial revolution that we're in, Tom, really changes everything in our daily lives and in the way that we interact with each other, the way we work, the way we live. And it's kind of a blurring of the lines between the physical and the digital and the biological worlds. Tom, COVID then put this on steroids because we suddenly are connecting to all of our, our work from home or from anywhere. Suddenly, you know, everything we do is, is digital, every interaction, including this one. And 
everything's biological. You know, we're, we're all concerned about how do we stay safe from the virus. And so obviously the, the last uh, eight, nine months has seen, you know, just really, really radical change. And, you know, at the beginning of the, the pandemic, obviously there was this shutdown and, and there was this great fear. And then somewhere in late May, Tom, people just came out and they said, you know what? It's, it's time to build, uh, which, you know, took the coin market to, to follow Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz's paper that he put out. You know, this isn't a black swan moment, which is what Sequoia put out. This is, this is a time to build. And, you know, we've seen more activity this summer in venture and MA than at any time that I can remember. And uh, it, it continues into the fall. And I'm really excited for new entrepreneurs that, that have new businesses that can help us respond to the new world that we're living in. How do you keep up with the, uh, the law facet of your, obviously, your, your profession? And the technical at the same time, since it is so rapid, and to keep, to to, you know, to keep them both as update updated as possible. I, I know there's a better word, but just it's just so rapid and it's so constant, and it's, it sounds like it kind of invigorates you in a weird way. If I'm wrong, tell me. But it sounds like it kind of gets you excited. Yeah. Well, you know, my thesis yeah. um, when I graduated from law school was that there were no borders anymore. And so you, you had to practice in a way that allowed you to help your, your companies go wherever they were going to go because technology doesn't have a border. You know, WhatsApp, while it can be blocked in some countries, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter which country you're in. You know, you get your message as long as you're connected to the web. You know, the web has no borders. And so I think that was my first sort of thesis about law practice. But my, my next thesis really has been evolving over the last you know, five years. And that's that a technology solution needs to replace a human in every way that we can to increase efficiency, to increase accuracy, and eventually you know, to reduce cost. And so I'm working with entrepreneurs who are stretching dollars further than they ever did. You know, 10 years ago, a Series A financing was for a company that, that might have had a minimum viable product, but certainly didn't have any revenue. And and then, you know, five years ago, they called that a seed company, and now they call that a pre-seed company. And so companies really, uh, you know, w- will stretch their themselves for five to 10 years before they ever really get a traction in the market and, and become, you know, a global company. And so, you know, my second thesis after, you know, cross-border is, is you know, just adopting technology solutions into everything that I do. And so, you know, I, I hang around a lot of uh, people that, that uh, in the legal tech space, I'm, I'm very active in the legal tech space. I, I integrate, you know, these solutions into my practice. You know, the obvious one that I don't think is particularly unique anymore, but is Carta and putting your cap table to the cloud in an encrypted fashion, which enables uh, workflow and, and really enables you, you and your law firm to work together in a really collaborative, less expensive, more predictable and accurate way. But there are lots of other solutions uh, that, that leverage artificial intelligence. And so when I do due diligence and M&A deals, I use a product called Kira Networks, and they can analyze you know, terabytes of data in, in nanoseconds and give me a table to tell me, you know, these 5,000 agreements, here's the governing law. Here's the one with governing law in Uzbekistan. Bam. Uh, and I didn't have to spend you know, hours and hours reading it. You know, these are just small examples of 
advances that are being made in the legal tech space. And so I think in the next 10 years, there are just going to be more and more of these. And, you know, my young lawyers tell me, oh my gosh, Louie, you know, why are you adopting all these solutions that replace us? And they don't replace us at all. They make us better. They make us faster and they make uh, us much more attractive to our friends that are entrepreneurs and, and companies because we can deliver to them solutions uh, that are so much cheaper and faster that we become more accessible. And then they come to us more and more things. We can spend our time on the value added task of really talking through with them what's the right decision to make in light of the information that you know, we've been able to get for you. Whereas before, you know, you'd spend hours and hours finding the information and, and you know, tell your client, well, you can turn left, you can turn right. Now we can spend all this time analyzing whether the left turn or the right turn seems better. And that's really the part of the practice that is enjoyable. Can you share with us, Louis, an example, and you don't have to name names or companies, of um, some entrepreneurs that initially came to you and they did have, you know, a couple of guys and a, and a couple of laptops, and now they're you know, multiple employees in uh, multiple locations and uh, the economy relies on them. I mean, again, you don't have to name names or companies, but you know, share kind of that experience, if you will. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. So first of all, all of my clients are like my family. I take my profession very, very seriously and I, I work really, really hard for them and I, I consider them extensions of myself. So it's unfair to, to talk about any one as, as opposed to another. But you know, one that just comes to mind because it's topical and it's in the digital healthcare space is a company called Doc.ai. And uh, it was founded by Walter and Sam DeBrower in 2016. And I was I was uh, right there with them when we incorporated. And the idea that, that they had was to create an artificial intelligence engine that would analyze reams and reams of healthcare data to predict outcomes, and that it would also use the blockchain to encrypt data and, and make sure that the sharing of the data was, was transmitted in a private way. And... Um, yeah, I have been with them, you know, for the last four years of as we've pivoted and and uh, expanded, and and we've now become a company that's uh, disrupting the the uh, digital transformation process that's happening in the healthcare industry. And and uh, I'm not allowed to name any of their clients, but they're helping uh, a large insurance company. Uh, interact with their customers in a in a much more intelligent way, and and it's really exciting to be a part of it. We're, they're working on solutions to help people return to work with a product called Passport, which you know helps monitor contact trace people that are coming in and out of the office. Uh, there's another product they have that's trying to help people with the mental health issues related to solitude, and it's called Serenity. And uh, you know it's it's just really exciting to be part of the team and, and the growth. And it's just one of the great success stories of, of, uh, of Silicon Valley. This is outstanding, Louis. This is also the Entrepreneur's Radio Show and Podcast on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Our uh, public service announcement is going to, uh, uh, is Louis' uh, selection, one of many. My gosh, Louis, you've got a lot of folks that you, uh, you're really a part of. Is, this one is uh, the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley. And uh, the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley uses uh, innovative legal advocacy as a tool for social change. 
They work tirelessly to ensure that every person in the thriving region is granted the same rights and legal asset. Every day, it's uh, the attorneys, social workers, and advocates craft inventive solutions to the life-changing legal issues facing low-income people in Silicon Valley. For more information, you can go to the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley. Again, it's the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley. We're talking today with Louis Lo, founder and managing principal of L2 Council, in, uh, located in Palo Alto, California. Louis, can you share with us why... Um, your organization, you're, you're a part of a lot. I noticed a lot of contributing um, charitable organizations. How, uh, why that means much to you? Yeah, I, I'm from uh, the, uh, the greater San Francisco area. I was born in Berkeley, raised in Oakland. And when I moved to Palo Alto uh, 15 years ago, I was stunned by the divide on El Camino Real in Palo Alto on one side of of El Camino, you've got double income households. Husbands and wives are usually engineers and work at one of the many big tech or, or startup companies in Silicon Valley. And on the other side of El, El Camino, you have families of five to 10 or more that are crammed into a mobile home at Buena Vista Mobile Home Park or in one of the low income apartment buildings uh, on, that dot the other side of which is the east side of El Camino. And, and um, in our school, at uh, my children's school, uh, which was Barron Park, we really saw you know, this great chasm between, let's say, two-thirds of the kids who you know, really needed a curriculum that was adapted to the fact that they were probably uh, child geniuses. And another, th- I would say a third of the class were you know, immigrants, English was not their first language. And, you know, getting access to food, clothing, housing, uh, real issues. And so just watching that uh, as my kids went through grammar school really uh, made me sensitive to the issue. And um, when I uh, met Allison Brunner, who runs the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley, I, I really was amazed at the work that they do. And it's just a fabulous organization that has figured out a way to penetrate the legal community and, uh, you know, rely on the, uh, the, the success of Silicon Valley lawyers to, to return that success to fund lawyers and social workers to, to help people in really desperate circumstances. And, you know, I, I, I don't think, um, it's, uh, I'm unique in, uh, supporting the law foundation. Uh, I, I think it, it benefits from the support of most, uh, most lawyers uh, I know uh, that are practicing. That's terrific. Louis, how was, uh, if you can go back to uh, the beginning where you were inspired, what was a galvanizing moment or moments other than you, you, you talked about the Iran uh, hostage crisis? Were there any others like that you'd walk away when you went away from that, that event that you said, boy, I'm really looking forward to being an attorney or, I think a, or, or you know, an ambassador? A, at a gut level, if you can recall, that feeling that you had to say, I, I really want to help people in this, uh, in this matter. Were there any one or two or kind of moments you can recall? It's just been so many great experiences working with founders and, and entrepreneurs. And these, you know, it's really fun when you work with a first time entrepreneur. Usually they come to me through some sort of referral, a warm introduction from a mutual friend, somebody they trust. 
And they're really, really smart in what they know, but they don't know anything about companies or or uh, navigating the whole process of formation. How do you raise money? Uh, how do you go scale? How do you hire people? How do you fire people? You know, I, I recently, uh, you know, had a had a company where I had helped uh, the the founders uh, through many cycles of the startup life. And, you know, they decided that they couldn't work together anymore. And so I had to help them navigate, navigate a breakup. But there's such a great variety of ways that I can help companies that I, I really enjoy what I do. And you know, the more client interaction I have, the, the more I, I really enjoy working with a company. You know, it's not just a name or a number. That would be boring. And one of the things I really enjoy about my new firm is, you know, the smaller scale, which allows me to you know, have more face-to-face interaction or Zoom-to-Zoom interaction yeah. with my, uh, with my yeah. friends who are my clients. Lou, is there anything that uh, we may have, uh, we didn't touch on or that you'd like to share with your audience today that uh, we didn't uh, talk about in our uh, closing? The technology ecosystem right now is under, you know, is under a lot of threat. And I think some of those threats are domestic and some of those are, are global. And domestically, I, I think there's a lot of mistrust in the world about the impact of tech and, and what, what effect we have on the outside world. And it's, I, I think the trend that started to scare me started in the 2016 election when, you know, it was alleged that a foreign power leveraged our social media platforms to create, you know, media waves and influence people to vote in a certain way or to have certain feelings incite hatred uh, among people or, or fear. And, and then we've seen over the last four years how certain people use social media platforms to conduct their, their politics. And there's legitimate fears about you know, how much private information is getting collected and how much more is going to be collected as, as there's just more and more digitally connected devices that are scraping data and sending it to the edge of the network and up into the cloud and where does it go and, and what's Big Brother doing? And, and, and then there's mistrust uh, on Main Street about whether big tech has become, you know, the, the monopolies, uh, the railroad monopolies of two centuries ago and, and whether they need to be broken up or, or regulated. That's just some of the domestic challenges that I think are that big tech and our whole tech ecosystem are facing. And smart people, I think, really need to be focused on those. And it's sad that when I turn on the nightly news, I, I don't hear about this as much as I hear about somebody's uh, latest tweet or counter tweet, which I think is noise. I would say that the that on a global scale, what I what I worry about for tech is the bifurcation of the world between a China-centric a China-dependent economic system and a U.S. system. And while I'm a very patriotic American, I'm, I'm also somebody who, as I said at the outset, I don't, I don't really believe that tech has borders. And so if we're creating technology products in the U.S. that can't access the, what is soon to be the largest market in the world in China or the second largest in India, you know, really what success or what relevance could it ever hope to have? By the same token, if our Silicon Valley technology startups are cut off and choked off from the sources of capital that are outside the U.S. because of these really heightened CFIUS rules, I'm concerned that we'll continue to have the kind of growth that we've seen in the last decade and the next decade. And I worry that we, you know, could become some kind of a Detroit, no offense to Detroit, where, you know, technology just moves away. 
And so uh, I, I'm really concerned that, that um, you know, as we look forward, we find a way to protect our intellectual property, but at the same time, engage with all of our partners around the world and, and have access to, to all markets and that we don't have to a, a bipolar world. And, and in this case, the markets in China, are, I believe, will be so much larger just by, by reference to the population advantage that they have that that we really could um you know not win we i don't see how we win bipolar conflict economically and then finally i'd say that you know on on climate we've seen in the last 20 years but certainly this year in the summer with all the fires in california that you know air quality is no longer something that you talk about when you travel to asia it, it's something you talk about when you go outside at stanford university and and that's not a day i ever expected to see true very true louis it's been an absolute honor and uh, and real pleasure thank you so much for being on you've been listening to the entrepreneurs radio show and podcast our guest today has been louis lo louis is the founder and managing partner of l2 council located in the heart of silicon valley and california avenue in palo alto California. Louis represents uh, private companies, financial sponsors, venture capitalists, investors, and investment banks in forming, financing, governing, buying, and selling companies. His extensive uh, experience assisting a wide variety of businesses at all stages of development, uh, from two founders and a laptop, through uh, venture capital financing to IPO and beyond. For more information, again, feel free to visit l2council.com. Again, l2council.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another purpose-driven entrepreneur or high-performing game changer committed to ideas, positive outcomes, and a better world. I'm Tom Dior. The Entrepreneur's radio show and podcast is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and on location. The Chief Audio Engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Chief Engineer is Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Peter Caroline and Omar L. Sabrao. And the executive producer and host of The Entrepreneur's Show is Tom Dior. If you wish to contact us, our email is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. 